As we come to hear again from the living God and his word, I want to begin with an exercise, a reflective exercise. I want you to think, when was the time that you felt helpless? I don't necessarily mean in a grand, grandiose kind of way. It could be that time you lost your keys, you couldn't find your wallet in the couch, that time your computer or phone died and you really needed access to your email. A time where you felt at a loss and you weren't sure what to do. It could, of course, be something bigger, greater, a larger, more persistent feeling of helplessness and hopelessness, that relationship that just will not be reconciled, that pattern of behavior in your own life that you would so love to break, to extricate yourself from, but you just can't. It could be a question of health, your own, a loved one, a question of finance, but an experience of helplessness an experience of coming to the end of yourself and being without options. As best you are able, recall that time this past week, this past month, whenever it may have been. And what was your internal experience of that, your response? What did it feel like? If you're anything like me, joy doesn't really factor into that experience. The experience of helplessness didn't come with joy or celebration. Texans place a particular value on the virtues of independence and self-sufficiency. In our modern world, our conveniences and technologies allow us to control and shape so much of our lives. We're used to being in control. The feeling of being out of control, helpless, in need of someone else's aid is uncomfortable. I don't like it. I'm not particularly used to it. There's not much joy for us in helplessness. Today is, of course, Palm Sunday. It's the entry into Holy Week, this week leading up to Easter. And it's the climax of this season of Lent. And over the past weeks of this season, we as the church have been seeking to keep in step with Jesus in this special kind of way as he approaches the cross. In this coming week, we do it in a a very particular way. In Holy Week, it shifts almost into real time, where daily we're walking with Jesus to the cross. There's Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, keeping in step with Jesus. And the thing about keeping in step with Jesus is that when we do so, when we follow him, when we walk in obedience, our lives are made new. They're changed. They're renewed. How could it be otherwise when we keep in step with the one through whom all things are being made new? But when we keep in step with him, when we draw near in faith, when we follow in obedience, and this is what Lenten practices are all about, keeping in step with Jesus, our lives, our experiences are changed and made new. What we are going to mark over these next seven days, make no mistake, affects the whole human experience. It transforms human lives, even the experience of helplessness, of being lost, of unable to make a way for yourself, even helplessness. The passage, Mark 11, that we just read outside and then reenacted in a way on our way in, includes this curious word, 
In verses 9 and 10, this crowd of Jesus' disciples before and after him cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. This is a word, of course, that we use in our worship week in and week out as we come to the table. It's a word many of us are familiar with. But it's also a word rich in history and meaning. And it's actually a cry of helplessness. The word appears in Psalm 118, verse 25, where the psalmist cries out, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. It's kind of an ancient version of, Help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. And the word Hosanna is the transliteration of this Hebrew word, this cry. Save or help. It's this entreaty. Save now, I pray. Come quickly. It's this cry that Jesus' followers shout over him and his approach into Jerusalem. Calling out to him for rescue, for help, for salvation. But a curious thing about this word, this cry for help, is that it's also a cry of joy and celebration. It's an acclamation as well as an acknowledgement of need and helplessness. In Israel's history, Psalm 118, where this word comes from, was part of this larger section of Psalms, 113 to 118, that are halal psalms, praise psalms, that became used in Israel's worship as an expression of praise. And Psalm 118 in particular was this royal psalm used in the enthronement of a king or the celebration of his rule. And the word Hosanna was changed in a way. This cry, save now, help us, came to take on a joyful and celebratory quality. He does, he will. Hosanna, the king is here. So much so that when the followers of Jesus here in Mark 11 cry out Hosanna, the people around them would have understood this to have a celebratory, a joyful quality to it. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. In Jesus, there is joy even in our helplessness. In Christ, there is praise and celebration when we come to the end of ourselves. When there's nothing left to do but cry out to God, the party can begin. Why is this this case? How is Jesus able to renew our lives, our experiences in this way? What happened this holy week that can make our helplessness, our hopelessness, experiences of joy? The followers of Jesus in our reading identify him as the one who came, comes in the name of the Lord. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a phrase, of course, that we also use in our worship. And it, too, comes from Psalm 118, but from verse 26, the very next verse after Hosanna. And the psalmist writes, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of God. Most commentators on this psalm understand this phrase in its original context to have been about welcoming pilgrims who were journeying to the temple in Jerusalem. It came to be about the king, that he was the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But it was initially, it seems, a word of blessing and welcome to pilgrims on their way to the temple to meet with the Lord. The same journey Jesus is now on. 
And this journey, this idea of pilgrimage in Israel's imagination became how they understood themselves. To be the people of God was to be a people on pilgrimage, just as they had been as they escaped from Egypt and were longing for the promised land. In some way now, they were longing, longing to be with God on the journey, on pilgrimage, wandering in the wilderness, helpless and in need. That this phrase is now used here to welcome Jesus as he completes the journey suggests in some way his identification with this pilgrim experience, with human need and helplessness. What we mark this week, what we just heard in this dramatic reading, is Jesus' entry into the very depths of human experience, into the worst that is on offer, the experience of oppression and injustice, as one falsely accused, the experience of physical pain and degradation in what he suffered, the brokenness of his body. And as we hear him cry in the cross, why have you forsaken me? The depth of feeling abandoned and alone, helpless and hopeless. The thing about helplessness is it's so often an isolating, estranging experience. We feel most helpless when we feel most alone. They're related. It's a lonely experience, unseen often. No one knows. No one can identify with what I'm experiencing. No one is coming. I remember years ago talking with a friend whose marriage was deeply fractured. There had been a profound betrayal. And he was reflecting to me this sense of this need for rescue. He's like, I feel like we need rescue. Like I need rescue. Like my wife needs rescue. Like my children need rescue. And no one is coming. Helpless and alone. Part of the promise of this week, this holy week, is that whatever suffering, whatever experiences of difficulty you have, you are not alone. The worst of injustice, the full weight of suffering, the helplessness of what it means to be human have been tasted and experienced by Jesus, the Son of God. Such that God himself knows what you carry and what you suffer. And he knows not in an abstract, conceptual way, but experientially, he knows it. God himself knows what it is to feel God forsaken, alone. He's extended himself to the very depths of whatever it is you suffer, the helplessness you feel. You cannot enter into a situation of helplessness that Jesus, the living God, does not know. Hosanna in the highest. That is a reason for joy. God in Jesus has entered in has made his home with us in our helplessness. And even more than that, it's a reason for joy. And this is so very important to remember as we enter Holy Week, as we enter this week, as we anticipate Easter. He enters in, not as a victim. God in Jesus enters into our suffering, into the experience of helplessness, not as a victim of circumstance, or as one overcome in any kind of way. 
Notice at the beginning of Mark 11 precisely how it is Jesus giving instruction here. It is he who tells the disciples what they can expect in this village as they go in. The picture here is of one wholly in control, orchestrating events, mastery over what will happen this week. It is Jesus who initiates the events of Palm Sunday and the events of Holy Week. He is not caught unaware. He's not surprised. He's not overcome. Jesus is not overtaken by the cross. Rather, he lays hold of it. He puts himself actively in the place of helplessness and suffering. When we consider Jesus' broken body on the cross, when we look at his nonviolence in the face of what he suffered, when we even consider the ethics of his teaching turning the other cheek, We might be tempted to think of him as a little naive, as unrealistic, as too heavenly-minded for this world, a victim in some kind of way. There's almost this dismissal of him. You know, Jesus speaks in ideals and platitudes, not really about the real world where we live. And on the cross, in some way, we can conceive of him as victimized by the real world. But the picture that emerges from our reading today is not of someone who went to the cross unknowingly by accident, who happened to find himself there, but of someone who is directing events, orchestrating the outcome. Jesus is the one making plans and issuing commands. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, as he enters into the jaws of these powers and institutions, these people meaning to destroy him, Jesus is, in fact, wholly in control. He does not go to the cross by accident. He actively, he willingly chooses suffering, chooses humiliation, chooses helplessness. He chooses death for the Father, for creation, for you, and for me. When we look upon Jesus at the cross, We are not looking at someone who simply shares in the worst of our experiences, in some kind of solidarity. But we're looking at someone who actively chose and entered in. A favorite quote of mine comes from the writer Dorothy Sayers. You've heard me say it before, but she says, Jesus lived like a human man and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. He thought it worthwhile. He chose it. He lay hold of it. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. But worthwhile how? Why would he choose this? For what purpose does he enter in? As I said, it's not simply about solidarity, identification with us. When my friend was speaking to me about the difficulties of his marriage and this desire for rescue, I could be empathetic. I could enter in to a certain degree. I could Say, man, that feels terrible. I understand that, that you feel lost. I'm there with you in that feeling. And that helped to a certain degree. But he still felt he needed rescue. He still needed someone to intercede. What we mark this week is more than just Jesus' solidarity in our suffering under the weight of sin and the brokenness of the world. What we mark this week is the undoing of those realities. It is the defeat of death, of injustice, the weight of sin and evil. 
It is the undoing of all those things that most profoundly render you helpless and hopeless. Jesus has triumphed over them. The reading we just read and rehearsed is commonly called the triumphal entry. Like a conquering king, Jesus rides in on a horse, accompanied by an army of followers, entering the city of David, this holy royal city, to lay hold of his throne, to lay hold of his crown. That's what we're celebrating when we shout like the Longhorns won the national championship. His victory. But it's a blink and you'll miss it kind of victory. Because it's a humble colt he rides on. And his army is this ragtag army of peasant worshipers. Their weapons are palms in the branches of the field. And his entry into the city, you'll notice, is largely ignored. Verse 11 simply says he looks around and leaves. No one takes notice. It's not the kind of triumph we expect. It's much more humble. It doesn't look like a triumph. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah writes of a king of God's choosing and says, Rejoice greatly, shout aloud. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Rescue is here, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foil of a donkey. And Zechariah envisions this day when the Lord himself will stand in Israel at the Mount of Olives where Jesus now rides. And he says, on that day, there'll be no light, no cold, no frost. It will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening there shall be light. And on that day, living water will flow from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. This is the triumph we enter into this week. Not in its fullness, but surely and certainly it's beginning. This is why Jesus suffers and dies. This is why he enters into helplessness. And this is why it is all worthwhile. Because it is the triumph of God. It is the crowning of God's rule over and defeat of all that would harry, harass, and render us helpless. But blink and you'll miss it. Because that victory takes place in his broken body on the cross. Jesus climbs the throne in his crucifixion. And the crown he wears causes him to bleed. It's a crown of thorns. It's blink and you'll miss it. But it's here in the brokenness of his body that our salvation, our righteousness, the help that you and I long for is found. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. How can a place of helplessness also be a place of joy? How can a cry of help be also a shout, a celebratory shout, an acclamation? They can be so when those places, those experiences of defeat are also the places of God's victory. His triumph and rule over sin, death, and evil. This paradox, this paradoxical reality is what we celebrate, what we mark this week. Jesus' entry into helplessness, his defeat, and his victory there.
God's entry into helplessness and God's triumph. So we who are in Christ can cry aloud, can shout Hosanna. When we're at the end of ourselves, when we recognize we're helpless under the weight of sin in the face of a broken world, we can cry Hosanna. But we can do so in joy. And we can bring our places of helplessness, of suffering, of coming to the end of ourselves. We can bring them into his presence. They can be places of joyful anticipation and expectation, of calling to him that his victory, his triumph might play out there where we are at the end of ourselves. His strength made perfect in our weakness. Whatever it is that we face. So let us then enter this week recognizing helplessness, not seeking to cover it up or mask it, minimize it, but coming openly to him, our triumphant king who has won the victory. And let us do so freely knowing that he, our humble king, has identified, experienced all that we might carry. And that it is precisely those wounds, those places where we are lost and without aid, where we need someone to come to rescue, where his power is so often most profoundly displayed. Let us come helpless. Let us cry Hosanna and taste and see the Lord's victory. Let's pray. As we pray, I invite you, if you are carrying something, if you come with a sense of being at the end of yourself, I encourage you just to take the posture of your hands, your palms raised, open before the Lord, ready to receive. Gracious and almighty God, we confess our lack, our need, our helplessness. We confess that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Would that hard truth permeate the reality of our hearts, O Lord? But would you, by your Holy Spirit, also convict us of who you are and of your triumph over all that it is that harries and harasses that makes us helpless? You have defeated death. You have undone the hold of sin. You have made your provision, your faithfulness known. And so I just ask for those who have their hands extended in that way, O oh Lord, the particular thing that they are carrying, that they come in with, would you in your kindness, in your mercy, draw near by the power of your Holy Spirit and minister life, minister blessing? Would you bring salvation to bear there, O oh Lord? And it so often comes in ways we don't expect, ways we would not see in and of ourselves. So would you give us eyes to see, eyes to see where your triumph is coming to fruition. You are our triumphant king, O oh Lord. In you, there is plentiful help. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Draw near to us, we pray. Amen.